crawling into your ear one hex at a time. Welcome back to the Red Dice Diaries RPG Podcast. Okay, so RPG and A 2023 has officially ended. I did blog posts pretty much every day, and I know a lot of people did podcast episodes. I've now had a couple of days break, probably a bit longer than that, but I've had a little bit of a breather. Now, a short while ago, I put out an episode where I asked people, how do you keep the the enthusiasm going for a long-running campaign. Several listeners were kind enough to call in an email with their responses, and I'm going to be answering those this episode. Hey, John, Jason here. Great episode on waning enthusiasm for long campaigns. I don't run long campaigns. Um, usually we get through, I, I do one-shots and, and short campaigns just because of my schedule right now isn't very supportive of long campaigns. I think one of the important things, though, and Che Webster's talked about this, is that if for some reason you're going to miss a session, then it's still worth trying to get together, even if it's just to get the group together to chat for a little bit or get the people that can show up together to do something whether it's just to chat or maybe play something else or I, I don't know. But, but the key is keep those communication lines open because if you go a month or a month and a half without playing at all, it could really, you know, people could end up doing other things. And so, so I think keeping those lines of communication open, even if it's just messaging back and forth and, and whatnot, but keeping open lines of communication on those sessions that you're going to miss because let's be honest with our modern schedules as adults, we're, we're going to end up missing sessions here or there. The, the other important thing is maybe try to reschedule those if possible because maybe missing one session is okay, but if you miss more than one session in a row, that can really be a killer on enthusiasm for everybody as well. So that's another thing to look at. The things that I've let drop because of enthusiasm and schedules and all, What's really killed it, what I've tried to run is play-by-post games. I've never been able to do a long-running play-by-post game, and I, and I think I frustrate the players with that, and, and rightfully so. But I, I would love to, to try to pull off a play-by-post game one of these days, um, a successful one. <laughs> Who knows? We'll see what happens. That was, of course, Jason from the Nerds RPG Variety Cast podcast. If you've not checked that out, I advise you do so. After you've listened to this episode, obviously, I think Jason raises a couple of really interesting points there. He's absolutely right about our schedules being more sort of chaotic and full nowadays, you know, with various responsibilities of adult life and stuff like that. And I really love his idea of, you know, just trying to get together, even if you can't run a game, you know, just to keep... The, keep in touch with people. I mean, like I say, I run a lot of games online and I probably don't see the the people very much outside of the game sessions. Also, my game is bi-weekly, so if I miss a couple of sessions, that's a whole month without that game running. And it's very difficult, in my opinion, to sort of pick up the pace exactly where you left off previously. Again, rescheduling sessions is a great idea. Unfortunately for myself, it's not normally proven possible. You know, we run the sessions on like pretty much the only day of the week that we can all make it. And what if something happens where that's not a possibility, it's very difficult to fit things in to other days. We have done it on occasions, you know, where we will run it on the intervening week, but a lot of people have to juggle their schedule around to do that. And it's not always possible. But still, I think those are some great suggestions from Jason. And I think he might have a little bit more to say. 
Hey, John, one thing I forgot to say in my message was that I did peter out of Dungeon 23. So RPG a day I didn't have a big problem with. I participated, although I put it up on the podcast, where I think in January where you make a character every day in a different system, things like that. I, I don't have a big problem with that. I did Inktober one year where I did drawing every day and posted it on the Audio Dungeon. But where I did drop the ball was Dungeon 23. I made it about three months in and then petered out. So I've got a ton of respect for everybody that managed to get, you know, that's still doing Dungeon 23 and still drawing a dungeon room a day. It's just I don't tend to run dungeons, so it was more of a exercise in making myself do it, and it wasn't something I was going to use, and it wasn't something I was overly excited about. So, I, you know, I didn't have the enthusiasm for that. But that, that's kind of adjacent to what you're asking, so sorry to eat up your airspace. You never need to apologize for eating up the airspace, dude. I'm always happy to receive a call from you. And yet, to be honest, I sympathize about Dungeon 23. I mean, I'm sort of still doing it on an ad hoc basis. I mean, I was never going to draw a dungeon room each day. I just don't really have the time to be dedicating to that. So originally I set myself the the task of doing it weekly and doing seven rooms, but then there's been some weeks where I've been away or I've not been able to do that. And then there's been other weeks where I've been able to do like whole like levels of a dungeon. So I'm sort of doing it in fits and starts as and when, and I'm just seeing it as a bit of a challenge to myself. If I don't manage to like do it until the end of the year, no biggie, it's absolutely fine. I'll still have the, the various dungeon levels I've drawn. And to be honest, I've sort of half thought about at the end of Dungeon 23, trying to compile what I've done into a like a PDF and sort of retooling it a little bit and making it a little, or fit in a little bit more and be a little bit less random. But who knows whether I'll actually get round to that. Watch this space. You never know. Okay, so our next call is from the Pink Phantom. Take it away. Hey, John, the Pink Phantom here. I just listened to your last episode about is enthusiasm dwindling for your campaign and what do you do about it? And, you know, I think from what I've heard and and seen and, and just in general, I think that like any other issue you may have, whether it's at a job or in your home life or with a friendship or with another hobby, a lot of times the reason enthusiasm kind of fades is either it's become very formulaic, very rote, you're doing the same things the same way, and you just get into a habit and you get to doing them that way, which is good for some things, particularly depending on what your job is, but can not lead to a lot of motivation. The other reason, I think, is because maybe a lack of mismatch, not a lack, a mismatch of expectations where everybody went into the campaign and they all had kind of, some of them had different ideas of what it was going to turn out to be. And it, it didn't play out that way. And after time that kind of gets to you, you're, you were expecting one thing and you got another. And a lot of that goes back to how the campaign was started and making sure people understood whether it was the game system or the style or how the pro, how progress was going to advance, what the campaign was going to be. But as far as resetting a campaign, getting it, the excitement back, what you described is really, I think, the only way you can deal with it. It's a, it's a communication thing. If there was you know, a mismatch of expectations, then people just weren't talking to each other about the right things. And that's not a GM's fault. It's not just a player's fault. It's just a, it's a group dynamic, and that group has to sort it out in the best way they can. Now, while a campaign is being run, there may be clues with the players, with things flagging, if certain parts of the campaign just seem to 
they start fiddling with their dice, fiddling with their phones, you know, flipping through the rule book. They're not ready for combat when it comes their way, when their turn comes, even though it's the same character they've been playing and it's the same abilities they've had, that kind of thing. That kind of disinterest can be a tip early, but it's in the end, it is communication. It is listening to the players, talking to the players. What do they hope to achieve? Are they looking for a lot of character interaction? Are they looking for a lot of combat? Are they looking for a lot of mystery solving? And that can only be solved by talking it out. It's like so many other problems in the world. Anyway, those are just my thoughts. Uh, I appreciate your podcast. It's good to hear you back on the mic and I hope to hear more. Great job. Thank you. That was, of course, Pink Phantom from the Phantom of Thoughts podcast. Again, I highly recommend you check that out. And yeah, I think you make a good point, Phantom, that it can be easy to fall into sort of rote, formulaic stars of running games, particularly if you've you've got a sort of set procedure for running your games. And that's no shade on like procedures for games. Anyone who's played in my games will tell you that I love old school games where they have procedures like this is how you run a turn when you're going through a dungeon. This is how you handle a wilderness crawl, etc. But sometimes if you're doing the same one of those over and over again, it can get to feel very formulaic and that can lead to a certain ebb of enthusiasm and yeah it sounds like we're in agreement regarding communication between the players and the gm and the whole mismatched expectations idea and that's generally why when i'm running one of my campaigns i try and sort of sit down at the start and call it a session zero call it whatever you want and we just discuss about what we're expecting from a game i think one of the things i could probably do more of in the future is just every few sessions or so just sort of check in with the players and you know how do they think things are going what are they expecting to happen next you know is it matching what we sort of set down at the start because i think it's very easy and i'm definitely guilty of this to come up with an idea at the start of a game about what you're going to do and how it's going to sort of progress not in a railroady way but just sort of like the direction it's going to be heading in out of the gate and then to sort of wander off into other areas that come up or other things and sort of get quite diverged from that original idea that both you and the players came up with and that may be fine for me as a dm because obviously i'm leading the the game but it might not be what the players are expecting and as i say i think just checking in with them every now and again and this is something i want to do more in the future could potentially help rectify that and let's not overlook the the sort of post game or pre game whatever you prefer chat where you're sort of generally chatting about the games. Now, my games are mostly run online, and we tend to finish off at a reasonably sort of late hour. So quite often we'll be tired or we've got uh, things to do the next day. So quite often we'll just wrap up, we'll finish there, and I'll be like, right, great, thanks very much, guys. I'll see you next week, and then you finish. Maybe I need to take a bit more time, even if it is late, just to like have a five, ten-minute chat with the players to find out what they think about what's going on, what they thought of the session, how they're thinking of the direction, that the game's taking and maybe that could help solve some of these issues well but i think pink phantom's got a few more things that he wants to say go ahead dude hey john the pink phantom again i i forgot to mention that one of the one of the reasons why enthusiasm could wane and and something that could just kind of take a toll is if the campaign takes an unexpected turn with the solo campaign i've been running i didn't expect i thought there would be a lot more dice rolling than there has been a lot more you know game part of it i guess and it turned into essentially for lack of a better word story time uh how the thinking about and seeing how the characters 
were reacting to things that had happened and that the dice had produced. And that there was a lot more of that than I thought there would be. And while that didn't dampen my enthusiasm for the campaign, it was something I had to figure out how to deal with. And sometimes that kind of an unexpected change in what you think the flavor of a campaign is going to be could be something that 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 really affects how people feel about the campaign. And sometimes you just have to fight through it. You have to talk it out and and fight through that kind of thing to get to where you want the campaign to be without forcing it like it's some sort of, you know, a, a sto- one specific story being played out or a, or a novel or something like that. And uh, if you don't want to play all these messages, you don't have to. I know some of them are a little muddled. Thank you. Don't worry about the messages being muddled, dude. I very much enjoyed listening to them. Thank you for sending them in. I'll quite happily play any future messages that you cared to send me. And yeah, I think you've really drilled down again to the heart of this communication issue. I mean, I don't have a great deal of experience with solo play, but as I said in my response to your last messages, it's very easy to sort of wander off track away from the original idea or direction of a campaign. And I think as we both seem to be talking about the communication between the GM and the players is key to either sort of gradually easing the campaign back in the direction that you originally hoped it to take or finding out that, well, perhaps everyone's enjoying this new direction more than the original idea, in which case, yeah, you can just carry on as you are going. So thank you very much for the messages, dude. Greatly appreciated. And next up, I had a Substack comment from Pat. So I'm just going to read that out exactly as it was sent to me. So Pat says, I thought about responding to this with an email, but I decided to try response in Substack instead. I loved your ideas for dealing with dwindling enthusiasm for a campaign and have used them or slight variations in the past. My primary game is an AD&D game that I play during lunch at work. I currently have four players, two originals and two who join later. About a dozen other players have come and gone through the campaign. With a per session high of nine and a year or so where I ran two concurrent games with four to five players each. Hitting pause has worked for me in the past, but I tried to make it a fixed scope, i.e. we're going to take a month off and play this other game. Introducing a new wrinkle into the campaign is also a good move. In a small twist on this, I've run short arcs in the campaign where we moved away from the main group. Sometimes that's meant a quest or a group of retainers. At other times it's been solo adventures or a small group of adventures for a subset of the PCs. For instance, while the magic user is holed up in the library at Hafen doing research, the druid and the ranger want to check out rumours of a treasure hunter who's gone missing on the coast. Asking players to get their perspective is also a nice option. My favourite was holding a two-year anniversary session where I prepped a bunch of questions on index cards that we flipped through and answered whilst eating pizza together. We reminisced about the things that had happened in the campaign to that point and dug into some inter-character relationships. I also like to ask questions during play, so what do you see about the door that makes you think the other denizens of the area fear whatever's behind it? I find that engaging my players in a bit of world building takes some of the load off me and gives me some fun threads to tug on as the game progresses. I'm looking forward to hearing slash reading what other folks have to say. Dwindling enthusiasm can be a campaign killer if not dealt with. These ideas focused on the DM side of the table. I also worry about what happens when the players lose steam. Any thoughts what a player can do to stay connected and interested in a longer running campaign? So thank you very much for that, Pat. 
and I pretty much agree with you. Your AD&D game sounds great. I've got to admit, I don't know whether I'd be able to like squeeze an AD&D game into my lunch half hour that I have, but more power to you. And I'm glad it sounds like it's going really well. Yeah, I entirely agree with you. Introducing a new wrinkle or something out of left field can be a good move just to refresh and revitalize a campaign although i do think you run the risk as pink phantom was saying earlier of perhaps diverging the campaign away from what people are expecting but i think as long as you keep communication open with your players and you sort of check in with them how they're finding the new direction then it can be a good thing because if you find out they're not really enjoying the new direction and you're checking regularly it's easier to like ease it back into a direction you're all enjoying than if you get far far down the line and then you find out what everyone's not enjoying it yeah i'm a great fan of asking players to get their perspective and as i was saying earlier that's probably something i need to do more often in a slightly more formal session but i think your idea of having an anniversary session or just a bit of a get together which is what um, one of my earlier callers was talking about you know even if you have to cancel a game try and get together and you can just talk about the game or whatever i think that's a really great idea and it's certainly something i'd love to do in future with regards to asking questions during play it's certainly something i enjoy doing i know mileage may vary some players aren't really comfortable with doing the world building others really love it but again if you keep that communication open and you're familiar with your players you can sort of use or not use that as suits your group yeah, you're absolutely right. My episode was mainly focused on the DM side of the table because, to be honest, I mostly DM or I'm lucky at the minute where I'm playing in a game and I'm also running a game as well. I'm playing in a weekly Stars Without Number game and I'm running my bi-weekly Easy D6 campaign. And I think in terms of when players lose steam, certainly from myself when I'm playing in games, if I'm losing steam... I try and find something within the session that's going on that really interests me and pursue that. Or I, for me, the, the main thing for me is I really enjoy like talking with NPCs and like chewing the fat, probably a little bit too much to be perfectly honest. Although after I've been chatting to an NPC for a few minutes, I will normally sort of stand back and then I'll let other people do whatever they want to do because I don't want to hog the spotlight. But finding out the background and stuff like that for me is really interesting so if i find myself losing steam i'm not really sure what's going on i'll generally try and find an npc to question about that because that's what i enjoy doing i like talking to the npcs and i'm a bit of a terror for doing this in Johanna's stars of that number game as soon as an npc shows up i'm basically playing an off-brand jedi in the game so as soon as NPC turns up who's got any sort of knowledge about religion or ancient sects or temples or whatever, I'm straight on that NPC and quite a bit to chat about that. And that normally gets me going and gets me enthused for the rest of the session. So that's how I tend to deal with it. But like I say, your mileage may vary. I think you need to identify what, as a player, really sort of spurs your interest and get you invested in the game which i know sometimes is easier said than done but again we come back to this old thing of communication because if you can say to your ref oh i really enjoyed the bits where we were like talking to the npcs but i'm not so keen on like the exploration bits or whatever that's just a, a random example then the gm knows what sort of things are like 
pressing your buttons in terms of the game enjoyment. However, if anyone else is listening out there who has suggestions for from a player point of view on how to sort of revitalize your interest in a campaign, or if they've got any further things from a DM side, please feel free to call in. I would love to hear those calls. And if we get enough, we might do another episode on this subject. But thanks again, Pat, for your comment. Much appreciated. So that's it for the messages we had about revitalizing enthusiasm in games. As I said, I'll quite happily carry this conversation on. If people want to call in, leave voicemails, substack comments, whatever, you can get in touch with me and we'll do another episode like this. But before we finish... Having talked about RPG Day 2023 at the start, I've received a voicemail from Jason at Nerds RPG Variety Cast. You know him, you love him, you heard him earlier. And he has something to say about the Points of Light post that I put up for RPG Day. So take it away, Jason. Hey, John, Jason here. I know I haven't reached out to you very often about your blog posts for RPG Day, but I want to comment on the game you'd like to see a new edition of. So, you mentioned 4th edition D&D. Well, that's just 3rd Age, right? But I'm being a little snarky there, but I think 3rd Age kind of is that. But what I really want to hone in on was you mentioned the Points of Light. And like you say, Points of Light existed before 4E, but 4E has maybe made it really explicit for D&D terms. The first time I heard Points of Light was Dark Conspiracy by um, GDW. You know, the same folks did Twilight 2000 back in the day. And that Dark Conspiracy, you know, that was the 90s, late 80s, early 90s when that came out. Because we played it in, well, we played it mid-90s. We played it in 95 when we were in Cuba. We, we did a deployment where we were running migrant camps in Cuba for the people that were trying to get away from Castro. And then he also released a bunch of criminals. So we set up these camps. It was kind of like Hogan's Heroes, but we were the guards and, and they were the people in the camps. And we, like, set them up on the golf courses there in Guantanamo Bay in Cuba and, um, you know, it was, it was heartbreaking because they're good people, uh, most of them. They're, like I say, they're criminals, and that's actually where you, you hear about X-Ray, Camp X-Ray, there on Guantanamo Bay with terrorists. But that's where it started was when we had somebody give us problems in the camps. They actually went, they set up a camp and had MPs run it. But our camps that, that we ran really had just regular people in them, families. You know, there were doctors and architects, and there were you know, just average folks. There, we, there was a guy that was one, on the Cuban soccer team that was there. Um, but, yeah, there were just people trying to get out of a bad situation and get to America to get a better situation. So, yeah, that, that really opened my eyes and helped shape my opinion of immigration policies and things like that for the U.S. Um, you know, because those... You know, those people would be an asset to our country, really. They they wanted to come and they they wanted to be there. And then they got to the camp and it was this long process, you know, up to a year in some cases. And, um, you know, and and they got two hot meals a day. They got a humanitarian MRE a day. We did movie nights. We'd take them from one camp to the other so they could visit their friends and all. But still, they were stuck there, you know. And and some of them, you know, we'd take them to a little beach to go swimming. and, And some of them would take that as an opportunity to go back to Cuba because they're like, oh, this is taking too long. You know, not necessarily the families, but, you know, individuals. And um, you, you always wonder, because you'd see them walk off with the Cuban guards when they'd swim around the side and, and land on the communist side. And you always expected to hear a gunshot when they got over the horizon. We never did, though. But, um, yeah, I, I don't know. It's Anyway, points of light. Uh, let me rein it back in. Dark Conspiracy role-playing game from the 90s is the first time 
that really coalesced for me the idea of little spots of civilization in mist, you know, in the middle of all this stuff. But um, yeah, great blog post. Thanks very much, Jason. Greatly appreciated. And as I said earlier, if you've not checked out the Nerds RPG Variety Cast, what are you doing with your life? Jason is one of the most prolific callers to other podcasts, and I'm glad you sent me in that call. Like I said, quite a moving call there, Jason, and very thought-provoking. So thank you very much for that. In terms of 13th Age, I think, do you know what? Yeah, I mean, I've got a copy of it. You're probably right. That probably is a new edition of fourth edition so to speak in that sort of similar model i've got to admit i've never actually run 13th age i know shock horror add it to my big list of games that i've not run or should i call it my pile of opportunity but regardless of that i've very much enjoyed reading it and it is another game i'd like to get around to running but i hadn't thought of it when i mentioned fourth edition DD. but yeah i think you're absolutely right it probably does owe an awful lot to DD fourth edition as for dark conspiracy like i said i'm i knew points of light had come out before fourth edition as i mentioned in the the blog post but for me it was the the first game where i looked at it and i sort of really went oh yeah do you know what yeah i can see what i can see what they're talking about i hadn't really like encountered it myself a great deal in earlier role-playing games or if i had i'd forgotten about it or i'd just sort of gone over it very quickly and it hadn't stuck in my mind but um yeah dark conspiracy i can't say i'm very familiar with that uh, in the 90s i was rocking that world of darkness alive hard and i didn't really play a lot of other rpgs that were outside of that in the 90s so i'm sure there's loads of stuff from that halcyon decade that i've missed but yeah i'd love to hear more about uh, dark conspiracies if you've not done so already maybe you could think about putting out an episode on your own podcast uh, jason about it i would love to hear more about that game it sounds quite intriguing from the name and I love anything that's points of light. So yeah, I'd really love to hear more about you from that. So feel free to either send me a call in with a few more details, or I'd love to hear you drop an episode where you delved into that game a bit deeper. So there we are. That's the end of this episode. Thanks to all my wonderful callers, Jason from Nerds RPG Variety Cast, Pink Phantom from the Phantom Thoughts podcast, and last but by no means at least, of course, Pat leaving his comment on Substack. I'd really love to carry on this conversation, as I said earlier. If you'd like to have your say, you know, talk about how you revitalize flagging interest in a long-running campaign, either from a GM or a player perspective, you can drop me a voicemail message on SpeakPipe. There'll be a link in the description. Or you can post me a comment on Substack, like Pat did. Or you can email me at rddrpgpodcast at gmail.com. If you've enjoyed this episode... Please like, share, subscribe, and all of that good stuff that people are always asking you to do. It really does help and is very much appreciated. So until I see you again, take care, stay safe, and whatever you're playing, have fun. 